0: Hi, guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have a very special guest that is John Jewett. Many of you will probably be aware of him because he is an IFBB heavyweight pro and a fantastic pro at that, who also is very, very deep into the science. He has a Masters of Science in Nutrition, he is a registered dietitian, and we get into how his methodologies have changed over time. We get into some peak week strategies and things like this. It's a fantastic chat, and uh, no doubt John will be back on again. Also, to let you know, as ever, we have our online coaching at Revive Stronger. If you're interested in potentially being coached by one of the crew at Revive Stronger, then definitely check out that link in the description. But without further ado, let's get into the show. Hi, guys. Welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today I'm very excited to talk to John Jewett. Uh, John is someone who I've been following maybe for like the last six months. I don't think it's been too much longer than that. Maybe not, or maybe so. But he is someone who I've become very fond of and have been consuming a lot of his content. And I was just like, I need to get John on the show. Some of you might not be aware who john is because this is the first time he's been on so I'll, I'll do a brief intro and then we'll dig into things a bit but he is an ifbb pro bodybuilder uh, since 2016. Uh, he has a master's of exercise science and nutrition sorry exercise <laughs> why did i add exercise there it's just science and nutrition uh he has an rd so he's a registered dietitian as well uh, and he's currently eight days out from the chicago pro so uh he's been very very uh kind of uh, good with his time and uh if he is at all yeah i mean he's he's actually gonna be speaking very well probably better than me because i've just fumbled <laughs> up a, a ton of stuff and uh, actually i found it incredibly interesting i was just checking over your website and everything and how like you broke 12 world records in powerlifting before you transitioned into now where you are in bodybuilding and i'm just like dude is there anything this guy can't do so uh, how how are things on your end john i know you're you're doing all right today
1: Yeah, well, I mean, first off, thanks for having me. And uh, admittedly, I think I was following Revive and and yourself for longer than you were following me and listened to your podcast because of the information that was just quality that you're putting out because I'm at heart a nerd. I know I have this muscle body, but deep down, there's just this science guy in me. So to to see more evidence-based material being pushed out, science focused, I was just like right on board with it. So I loved all the stuff that y'all have been putting out. And like, at some point I was like, man, I hope Steve asked me to come on the podcast. Oh, that's awesome. Really excited to do it. Um, so so finally, here I am and uh, a pleasure to be here talking with you. Eight days out or not, I have time for steve holland revive
0: <laughs> that's awesome yeah i mean actually that i'm like a boying over here and uh, like to know that you are actually following this beforehand is and, and that just is very humbling to know that the size of the podcast the people i interview are kind of reaching people like yourself and uh, obviously i spoke about your kind of your master's background in nutrition you're an rd you obviously take the science seriously which is why when i found you and started listening to your content i was just like oh this is someone like i feel like i'm on a level with whereas I can't say that for everyone uh, who like is just huge and jacked. Like uh, it's not the same.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you can get pretty huge and jacked just throwing around weight and grunting and lifting stuff, and you don't might ever have to touch a textbook ever. Um, And it seems like a lot of the you know this. I hate to like group like our IFBB pro world into that, but it seems like it's there's this division that people make in the science community. And then there's like the IFBB, right? And it's like, oh yeah, those guys don't listen to them. They are just meatheads, heads, which isn't all true. Um, but it's, it's definitely easy to, for these guys to, to just throw away, make a ton of progress and maybe never have to dig deep into the sciences. But for me, it was always about how can, how, I want to understand it for one, but also make sure I'm not wasting time doing things that I shouldn't be, um, and also put more time into the areas that I want to. So, you know, looking through evidence and science was, was always thing. I was, of course, I'm a bro first, right? Uh, I started during the gym, I didn't know anything, just knew to, to train hard. And that got me a, a lot of <laughs> results. Um, but to, to really eke out everything I think you need, to, especially at this level, and with the way that we are in, in just every single sport, we're, we're at an advanced area. So bodybuilding is should be the same. So whether it is IFBB natural or enhanced, there's so much to gain from sciences. But no, let us never forget that uh, in the trench experience, I, I still think is, is should be heavily weighed. Um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a I'm a nerd, and but I, I love to to train hard, and I'm, I'm a bro too. <laughs> so. So
0: people know now why I was excited to talk to John because he's clearly kind of, I mean, that's evidence-based practice right there. Like you like, you like to use the science, keep up yeah. to date with it, but you have your own practical experience in the field as well.
1: Yeah. In, in in the, in the field experience is evidence. It's lowly weighed evidence. And a lot of time it's kind of murky by like, well, this guy did it, you know? Um, but nonetheless, it is experience. Or if you have a coach that's never been in a research lab. Everybody's had hundreds and hundreds of clients. So like this guy's picked up some type of value, and we can't ever just dismiss that. And I feel like some people kind of get on one side of the fence about it, which it's only science based, and they kind of lose sight of actually where the rubber meets the road. Then you have other guys that are just so you know application based that. The, it's harder for them to pick out what's working and what's not and maybe they get a little too dogmatic in certain approaches and it leads them to um you know poor applications or giving out poor information for for others so uh it's usually yeah yeah kind of got kind of to mix both in together and i think that's where you can really find the the practitioner that can lead you in the right direction for
0: sure yeah i think i wonder because I think sometimes it's a case of if it ain't broke, don't fix it, and people kind of whatever they get results with first, they kind of uh, kind of stick with that. And I wonder if you think kind of your background of you kind of, I mean, you were educated uh, and you're interested in science before you're ever like really jacked. Do you think that gave you that kind of respect for the science and how actually I can use this stuff to help me? I don't, I don't have to be closed-minded to it. Do you think that's what kind of, or it's just your personality type that's kind of led you to? be the way you are?
1: it, it it's probably is a, a mix of both. Um, and, and of course, I was curious about the sciences and, and how things work. I remember in, in seventh grade, I was reading about how creatine monohydrate would work and learning about creatine phosphate stores and no one in seventh grade knew that. You know, I was just like, well, how, how does it work? Like what, you know, and so I, I had a curiosity towards it. But also back then, we I didn't have the information exposure that we do now. Now it's almost information overload to where it's like, where do you, where should you pick to put your time to the information? When I was first starting working out and I, I was been lifting since I was in like sixth grade. Back then, I, you just had magazines and those weren't, you know, great information. And the, even to find a coach, like people weren't online coaching or uh, even who would you even ask for this? So you just kind of didn't have the information there. So you have to ask people that were just around you that might have experience. And uh, that could still, like we mentioned, like you don't know who you're, who you're talking to and you don't know how to filter that content at a young age. So it still led me to to have approaches that were not quite science-based yet. Um, maybe a logical thought process or, you know, I would see results and that would kind of lead me to continue to do so. Because like I mentioned, you can train hard and can get you very, very far, especially at like a younger age when I was starting out. That was enough. And... I had some good early influences um from some some older guys one of my dad's friends he bodybuilt for years. He actually like thinking back on it now, like when I finally had someone give me instruction, and that was that was actually in seventh grade. He he came when I had a little home gym and he he started, he's like, This is what you want to do. And it wasn't what I was expecting. Um for one, he brought a a, a flex magazine with him. I remember I had Lee Priest on it and nothing against Lee Priest. But he said, Listen, if you ever want to look like this, everyone in this magazine is on steroids. He's like, Don't ever think you're going to look like this without doing it. I'm like, Okay, well, that's very real. You know, most people aren't that real with you when you're in seventh grade. And they're like, And he's like, Don't ever do it. But if you're going to, come ask me about it first. (laughs) He's like, Okay, fair enough. And then he put me on a, a full body training program three days a week. I was like, but what about, you know, like I just want chest day out back then. I was just doing bench press and curls all like three days a week. And so it was a full body routine. He put me on. And I would like start with squats and ro- like go from bigger muscle groups down to smaller, it was nice. like eight exercises. So I'm like, thinking back, I was like, what a great beginner program that I had started on. But I think was, is my adherence was poor. I got really bored with it quick uh, rotating through these lifts. So eventually just kind of jumped around from there, but Uh, Yeah, I guess that was, that was the issue back then is like having the right information Mm -hmm. to be influenced. And um, I was really strong back then for just surrounding myself. Like once you start getting in the weight room in, in high school, I'm like, man, I had like the top bench press in my freshman high school football team. It's like, I'm really good at this. I'm strong. And I found out about powerlifting and that's kind of what led me to chase like down the strength game. And, uh, find some guys in in that were experienced because I don't know, where are you going to read about powerlifting and science? So I had some other guys that were like in their forties powerlifting that were teaching me, you know? Um, and they were, they were just meathead bros, you know, um, that were really strong. So it's like, well, that weighed enough science for me (laughs) to do. So started, uh, powerlifting with these guys just because naturally that's what I was good at and gravitated towards and led me to, to do that for eight years. Um, all, all through college until I just uh, was like, ah, I kind of did what I want. I was starting to beat my own. I had like some world records, you know, and, and powerlifting is kind of, it's kind of frustrating because there's like over 10 organizations in different yeah. weight classes. And that same guy in your age bracket has a world record. It's like, well, oh, I have one too. It's like, yeah, we all have world records. <laughs> so it's like, well, I just kind of got done with it. I'm like, yeah. i really strong. I don't look as strong as I am or people would be like, Oh, yeah, are you like 200 pounds I'm Like no 220? You know, it's like, I didn't quite look the part. I always wanted to look the part. Um, but I was super meticulous with nutrition, I already had an Excel file tracking all my stuff. So that's what kind of led me into into bodybuilding from there.
0: It's really interesting to hear about that background as well. And I think powerlifting, like a, a lot of bodybuilders could learn from powerlifters in terms of like powerlifters are focused on that progressive overload, because they know their ultimate goal is to lift more. And that sometimes gets missed with bodybuilders. I think, I mean, maybe the niche we're in more people realize it and they realize other ways of progression as well. But I think in the past, it was like, I don't know, Arnie was all about the pump and people just lost sight of adding load and making things harder over time. Whereas you had that kind of of like probably pummeled into you from powerlifting.
1: It definitely gave me a a different introduction into bodybuilding than than what others were because yeah, in, in powerlifting, it was making sure you're progressing in strength and you already had a logbook of something to track your progress over time. Um, My big influence was like Louis Simmons and Westside Barbell and the conjugate method. So it was like having these max effort days, which I I, I don't think I would have survived if I kept doing powerlifting because it was like (laughs) your max effort days were basically you would max out on these lifts um, every single week. And I was young so I could do it then. But I guess that carried me my first initial exposure to bodybuilding was through Elite FTS with Day Tate. And they had some bodybuilders that were putting some information out on there, which was uh, Justin Harris, Shelby Starnes. At that time, it was Troponin Nutrition. And these guys were speaking like in this kind of science-y, you know, terms like, okay, they seem like they know what they're talking about. Um, They were doing uh, DC dog crap training, like from Trudell. And I read through this, like this logically makes a lot of sense. And it connected well with my, my, the power lifter in me, right? You have a log book, you need to form progress, you know, progressive overload every, every workout. And, um, you're not going to have a small chest if you're benching like 400 pounds for 10 reps. Like, yes, that makes sense. And so that was like my first transition was doing DC training for powerlifting, which was, was nice because like you said, I had like the progressive, mindset to keep progressing the stimulus up it the issue was from coming from powerlifting it was still very much like point a to point b yeah so like it you know the the where the tension was what the execution looked like a lot of that was sacrificed so that was like the downside of coming from that um effort level was insane like I could go as high, far as I need to beyond and past failure um, from like the powerlifting background. Like I knew how to grind reps. And I think those things alone were going to take me pretty far. Um, the downside with that too, is that, well, you don't manage your your fatigue very well. And you also aren't very great at managing like uh, injuries from cropping up too. So there was like, there was good and, 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 and bad to it. Um, would I have rather gone the other route where I was just kind of pumping weights and just going off intuition, how I felt and not have a program. No, I like, you know, I am where I am because of what I did. Yeah. Um, But I think the model of what like Dante Trudell put out was there. It was my interpretation of that model was uh, a little bit powerlifter biased because if you actually listen to Dante, he preaches all these things about standardizing form and range of motion and proper execution, tension of muscles. But I was kind of like, oblivious to that and kind of read around that to like, yeah, yeah, move Wade and move the logbook up at all costs. It's like, no, that's not what that we should have meant.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's an easy trap to get into that. I think a lot of people have fallen into as well. And actually out of interest, do you have any injuries? Like, how are you at this time?
1: Uh, pretty good. Actually nothing major. Um had some minor tears. I think my worst injury that I've ever had was uh, my, my hamstring. I tore it sprinting. So oh, yeah. that's when I was powerlifting and learning sprinting mechanics in one of our classes and just went full throttle in a sprint oh. when I hadn't sprinted in like two years. Yeah. And uh yeah, that that dropping that hamstring down to hip extension in a fully lengthened pizza, just felt it pop and uh turn black, black and purple. And um actually did a powerlifting like two weeks later, bench press only. That, that was probably the worst one I've had. I have some minor pectoral, little, little things, little niggles here and there. My major ones that affected my bodybuilding were um, I tore my rec fem doing a split squat when I was 12 weeks out from New York Pro in 2018. And then the next year, tore my right one doing the same movement (laughs) uh and i I was like like 16 weeks out it was a little less but if if you look at my rec fems, you can see the difference between them my left leg is a little different than my right leg now but that that's been the 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 most major thing nothing like skeletal wise or ligament wise so um, fortunate there
0: i know that holds a lot of well i mean you just have to you look at someone like Ronnie Coleman, like he had that powerlifting background. He got he applied that to bodybuilding quite in a big way and got huge, yeah. but paid the price. Uh, maybe unnecessarily, like you can always say these maybes, can't you? But
1: you don't know, like, right? Like that's Ronnie, like he hmm. was one of the tops, right? So it's like, um, to, to change that, who knows? Would he be yeah. the same? Maybe, <laughs> maybe yeah, not.
0: It's, I don't it's know. so hard. Uh, I mean, yeah, we still haven't had another kind of running i mean everyone's their own person aren't they so it's difficult anyway but sure. uh, it's great that you're not injured and actually that's something again as uh, someone who i mean not that i'm thick into the kind of ifbb scene or the enhanced scene particularly but i will see people i see big guys and they don't lift the way you lift john like you lift pristine <laughs> like you mentioned there, control range of motion uh, and i guess that leads to one of the topics i was going to come to is kind of like your change in methodologies like how does your training look now versus how it used to look? What are the biggest things that are kind of changed there?
1: Yeah, I think for one, from powerlifting, like you, you are a technique specialist in a sense that you're trying to get the most efficient at moving from point A to point B. So there is like a very you know, ex, ex, well-executed form in that sense, but it's not so much as like trying to get the almost, you're almost in bodybuilding, you're almost trying to get the the least efficient at, at, you know absolutely uh, way to, to find the, the lightest load you need to give you the, the most stimulus you can. Um, and basically just we're just trying to move or, origin to insertion points and put as much tension between those points as possible, which that wasn't the parallel through mindset. So it took a while before I could really put a lot of value uh, into that. And I think there was a slow transition along the way to really develop it. Um, over the past two years would, has probably been the, the greatest change. I, I've never been extremely sloppy though. Don't get me wrong. I was never just like a, just throwing around weights. There was always a pretty controlled uh, form. And, and part of that I think was from powerlifting, you know, I'd still knew to lift within within control and just seeing if you guys swing on weights, it made no sense to me. Um, but definitely like w- I'm trying to think of like a moment of, of, or who was a, a big influence within that. Um, I, I can't identify particularly one. Once I started working with uh, Matt Jansen as a coach, this was in 2015. Uh, that kind of opened me up to a little bit more as training wise. Um, he, Matt still had a very much like this kind of like hard effort training, but yeah. also he was speaking more on on, on exercise form and execution. Which got me thinking, okay, well, there, there's this these paths that I need to be taking with with my form. Um, and, and then moving forward there, like once I started getting more a little bit more injuries crop up is when I'm and getting older. It's yeah. like, well, how how can I how can I change this to be more efficient? And so there's been a lot of influence, a lot of good information that's come out these past years on it, like with um Joe Bennett, the hypertrophy coach. Right. Uh, that's I think some of that's probably one of the first guys I saw really talking about. More thought out movement selection and exercise setup for how my, your your own personal mechanics are and how you can align yourself more with machines and finding movements that create bracing st- instability within these patterns so we can apply more stimulus to the, mu- the intended muscle. So I've basically been picking things up along the years now. And uh, that got me to really understand. And I think once I did, dug deeper, like in my master's and learning more about, you know, what what really is driving hypertrophy and how do we increase that stimulus. That's when I'm like, okay, these dots are starting to connect more, and I need to control these movements. And that really should be the the of what come is coming first. And and for me to standardize a repetition, get the most out of that repetition, and then move up from there. And then we can talk about. Sets and volume and etc. and and then move into effort. um I think a lot of times we eh, there's because I jump to effort first, right, over execution. Somewhat, there's middle ground. I think both need apply, but uh, I think you have guys on the, some sides of the fence that are like, well, it's all about you know execution, and they never lift hard enough. Yeah. Oh, and then you have some guys that are just lifting crazy hard, and they just never get their form down. I I would go with the former of like, hey, just lift really hard. And that's probably going to get you farther than just like never lifting hard enough. <laughs> but sure. um yeah, it's been a slow transition along the way. And also with what I'm putting out now education wise, like I I, I want to try not not to be right, but I, I don't want to put out information that's going to harm someone. And I want information that's going to help someone progress forward and get the most out of their bodybuilding journey. So they're not like me when I'm finally like 34. It's like, man, I wish I knew this like 10 years ago. Um, and I think a lot of younger guys are picking up on, on this stuff now and seeing the importance of it from a longevity standpoint. Cause we know Steve, like to do this well, you need to be doing this for like years. It's not just yeah. like, what is the next 12 weeks hold for you. It's like, how do I bodybuild for another 10 years? And, and that's been such in the forefront of my mind being, I'll be, I'll actually be 35 next week. Um, and, uh, how do I do this for another five years or whatever it may be? Uh, cause I'm getting to that kind of peak, maybe, right. You know? Might not, who knows how so much longer I'll be all in it, but that's those are important things to think about. Hey,
0: yeah. Pascal here. I just wanted to take the moment to talk about our membership side. Inside, you'll find a thriving forum, an extensive exercise library, courses, presentations, and research reviews. All I need you to do is hit the link in the description below and sign up. See you there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think unfortunately. A lot of us do need like a almost an, like you you need an event to force you to change, and it's sometimes sure. it is an injury or something like that. And like you said, there is really good information, but yeah, you need a combination of all these things, right? You can't have all the volume; you're going to get nowhere if you have the other parts not there. You need the right kind of a, a amount of each. Uh, I guess out of interest, uh, I guess this was always going to be a topic that comes up. But effort levels, like you said, you had sure. the effort levels. Uh, you came from that kind of powerlifting dc background and a lot of uh, actually i don't know i think it said a lot of the enhanced guys the ifbb pros train like and i well i guess they all train incredibly hard you have to but train to failure like all all the time year round maybe even don't have deloads things like this and you spoke to fatigue management i'd be interested to hear if your perspectives change on that how your kind of effort levels if they uh, if you periodize those at all if you do have deload periods or anything like that to help with the kind of longevity and the overall just like plan as a whole
1: yeah so i i I think saying like to, to lump out all of the IPB like, everyone just trains a failure at all the time. I think we just get a, a exposure to a lot of these guys off of what we might see just on Instagram and guys posting like their craziest sets, right. For yeah. the, for the gram and so you're like, oh, that's like, this guy trains all the time. But I think if you look at like some of the, 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 probably even the top influencers in the IFBB or guys that are IFBB pros as well, that coach a lot of these individuals, that's, that's far from the case. And It might not be as clear cut as like having this like beautiful training template Excel file where you clearly see it. But I think a lot of it's and a lot of these guys is intuitively built in just from training in the trenches for years. And and a lot of them aren't training to failure all our time. And there's there's sets that are less. But if you start labeling these guys like with uh, reps and reserve, they don't like it, even though they're using it. It's like someone that lived on an island and they were never exposed to time, a clock, or anything. And we said, "Hey, it's twelve o'clock." They're like, "Oh no, no, no! I don't go by time." (laughs) Well, there's this thing, time. It does exist, and like you don't have to like say that it's twelve o'clock, but it is twelve o'clock somewhere in the world. It's like these guys, like, yeah, you you're not labeling it as a two R I R, but you're still not going up to true failure. So I think the labels is what um, some guys just get up in arms about, because it's like affecting their, you know, uh, their identity as being alpha masculine training hard. And that it's just not not the case. That's not how it is. But I think a lot of the guys don't truly train all out all the time. And there's moments of it. And it's built in when they can manage it. Now, some guys, if they're just uh, oblivious and just train way beyond all the time, they're ones that are probably digging themselves in holes. And I've done that. So that's partly why like the program would f- be fairly static back. Like, uh this is probably four or five years ago. And uh, effort level would stay pretty high. So it would be at near failure at pretty much all times within safe to do so. So there's lifts like, like a squat or leg press. Like, I, yeah, I'm not going to be crawling out of a leg press ever. I never did that. So back then I was still, you know, getting maybe that last rep on my own. Or, or leaving one there when I felt like technique was really breaking down. And so maybe it wasn't a one RAR. Then there's like movements that I would probably actually go to failure on. Um, I would never probably, I don't think I remember going for reps that were like way out in left field though, right? Like I barely get one. It's like, let's go for it anyway. And you only move it like an inch. But, um, and, and so back then, like as far as regulating volume and training, I, I didn't, I was completely disconnected with the idea of fatigue and what training was doing and how I felt on prep. Um, I, I think I associated that more with like diet fatigue, yeah. right? I'm, I'm low calorie and so I feel low energy. Sleep is poor because of that. But I, I disconnected the training aspect, maybe being the largest driver in part of that fatigue. And so I would never think to adjust training. I needed training to stay the same to hold on to tissue, which is true to a sense. But there's also some area where you could you could remove that uh, volume back, um, and and so for the most part, yeah, it would stay pretty stagnant back then. Uh, I remember working with Matt is basically if we we would move from fa- phases and maybe recovery would drop off, we'd add in a rest day, so the overall okay. program could stay the same. Um, you just have a s- spread out your volume more. I didn't realize this back then, but that's all we were doing. We we're kind of changing frequency. So there was this r- regulation kind of occurring, yeah. but it wasn't to the extent that we know today of how we like really broken down, like what drives fatigue and how to manage it so much, so much more. Um, but moving now, how my training is, is set up currently. Um, so I, I still keep a relatively stagnant RR um, for the most part. And I will run, cycle phases. And they'll be auto-regulated for, for most of the part. And because I've built in a lot of that intuition and have been able to separate myself emotionally. It, but like even years ago, there's no way. Like I was so emotionally tied, the deload would have to come to meet me yeah. You know, by an injury happening or digging myself into the ground. And, uh, and I wouldn't have the signs to know when to pull back. and and now I've gotten really good at knowing, but I'm also have just through experience, know like so many weeks, I I know I can't go longer and I have to be a little bit uh, proactive as well. So usually like deloads are like every, every six weeks is like they're, they're, they're blocked in. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, I'm reactive as well. So, you know, if I'm, I'm training phenomenally and everything's going great, it's like, well, you feel great. And strength's progressing. Like, should you take a deload? It's like, uh, well, I, I feel a bit, Yeah, No, no, take one. right. That's like, well, why? <laughs> I feel really good. Um, maybe I should be increasing training or maybe I shouldn't. Um, at the same time, it's like, oh, I feel terrible, but, you know, my deload's in another week. Oh, just dig hard, dig yourself a hole the last week because you're going to deload anyway. It's like, well, no, usually that's when I've actually really messed myself up. Um, digging even deeper level of fatigue. And I haven't quite bought into the the idea of like super compensation. And um, I think you have to go to to go way high stimulus and you have to go way low into like a recovery phase. And I I think mine's been more, a little bit uh, less aggressive. So for um, um, like give you an example of meso would be like a, a, a introduction week with a relatively set volume amount um, RR slightly dialed back, uh, but not too far. I'm still like trained pretty closely, so like a one RR and on D loads on baby at, at a two. <clears throat> so I'll have like maybe this introduction week, depending on where I came from. Then that second week is where I can really dial in my plan. So look kind of, how this is kind of like into it. Like, I know we write stuff down on paper and you go train you're like, oh, that worked out terrible. Right. Yeah. And, and or, or it's like this movie didn't feel quite right. Yeah. So that second week is like dialing in, but then I'm pretty much turned turn it on. So I'm not, I'm not by any means this new person to, well, there's like a lot of, uh, you know, cross lifts, uh, integration that happens So I'm not having to learn these new movements. So I don't yeah. need this like large introduction phase. Um, so relatively second week I'm up and moving with the, about the volume level that I'm going to ride out for, for several weeks. And uh, RIR will be pushed on compounds around one and mainly isolations are around one. It's rare that I ever take something out to true failure anymore. And I hold that, I hold the, the RR fairly stagnant across my meso. And if anything, there might be some set additions that occur okay. across. It's just kind of, those are kind of auto-regulated and yeah. mainly those set additions for me would be on usually on isolation movements. Or or specialization phase for the for where I'm at in my development wise and that, I think you need context to that so I have completely different plans I put together for other people but this is talking about me so um, arguably my volume target is pretty narrow yeah comparatively to someone that's intermediate or maybe in a beginner so me adding in a set is is a pretty large um, addition and it can easily throw me too far to the right into fatigue. So, and also my progression is going to be smaller too. So I'm going to need to sit with some volume level, probably for a good amount of time and just let load and rep progressions occur. Um, and so pretty much fatigue will accumulate just through doing that alone and, and then have to, uh, deload from there. Um, and and that's kind of how, how I run my training phases. So I'm not I'm never reaching up into this high volume accumulation that was requires this large volume reduction of, of a deload. So it's, it's a little less dynamic. Yeah. Um, it's it's a sl- kind of a slower climb. And then I'm realizing, okay, it's, it's time for this deload. I'm starting to you know, fatigue a little bit. M- mental focus is, is starting to weigh um, hunger signal is decreasing and then I'll deload. It won't require as much. And I can pick back up into my next training block But I won't require also having to go to like this really low starting volume point because I'm not waving up as high or low that that makes sense
0: yeah completely I think a lot of the listeners are aware of like the volume landmarks and they're no MEV MRV and when you're as advanced as you are your MEV is probably pretty high and your MRV equally isn't that high so the window between where we're growing I mean uh, you, you haven't got that much room because you're flipping humongous yeah.
1: and uh, I, you know and also too is like i'm a 212 competitor so i'm not someone that's trying yes. to add on 20 pounds of stage weight in here like whoever's doing that um so i have to kind of pick and choose um for one my rate of weight progression um and also usually these phases are specialization so most of the other body parts are moved to a maintenance volume so that's for one right. why why those body parts I just hold set volume stagnant because um, I'm not trying to drive up stimulus over, over weeks. Just the stimulus, just, just the progression within those sets of load and reps, even, at, even, even closer to a maintenance, uh, I'll grow body parts. Like quads, um, I'll do four sets a week for quads and they will, they will grow off that. <laughs> um, so then if I have like maybe chest or traps or something, that might be the spot where volume would be raised. And so the overall meso would have a higher volume component for those. And that might have some set additions. It might not. Um, I, I, you have to really weigh in, like, like I, I see adding a set in as, as a big drop of a hammer of a stimulus and how fast am I growing in, in relation to like weekly to require a, that much more stimulus. And arguably, I don't know if you're going to be growing as fast as you need that, that stimulus addition. Um, at least that's what I've seen within me, but I'm not growing as fast as I used to as a beginner, too. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, for me, two twelve competitor, I have a body weight limitations. So usually these phases are, are specialization focused to where I'm having to like maybe jump up volume a little bit on a certain muscle group, bring others back to maintenance volume, and then I could rotate that to a different specialization if I needed. But I think once you get to this level, pretty much your weak body parts are always your weak body parts. And you might find yourself always running a specialization cycle. And that's kind of what it has been for me. So usually yeah. it's leg days are once a week. And there is a, a push back day twice a week. And it's like upper back focused always and chest focused always on the push days. And uh, that's uh, what, what has led me to my current kind of, kind of training. Yeah,
0: no, it makes a lot of sense. And I think what's lovely about that is I mean it's clear you're a coach because you're kind of referring to principles and telling people like this is how I do it but I mean especially the audience that's listening to this I mean <laughs> very few of them are going to be anywhere near at your level so it, it's the principles that they need to draw from that in terms of are oh, you are talking about auto-regulating your volume or the like you need a specialization because of where you're at that they probably don't
1: Right. Right. Definitely. And, and, and how I can pick up into hard effort training right away, because I've learned the execution of these movements and there's carryover amongst all lifts while someone else, if they're, if they're new to lifting, they introduce a completely new lift. Like it, it would make sense for them to stay away from failure for this lift and maybe do more sets to learn the movement pattern and and, and that and farther away from failure, they would probably get plenty of stimulus. And arguably for someone that's in more advanced, Maybe it is just the last rep or two reps that really are stimulative. I I don't know. We don't have this, like (laughs) for these really advanced guys, we don't really know. We know it's like somewhere in there, but for like someone that's actually as a bodybuilder at this level, and we have a few studies, like in some moderately trained individuals that like, Hey, maybe it's two reps in reserve. Like, are you willing to leave that on the table? Like, and, or just go for that one extra rep um so so yeah so you kind of have to read through a lot of this and it's definitely application based and uh you can't just we try to put out some general templates for people right yeah um but eventually you have to cater it down to the individual needs
0: yeah it's interesting even thinking back like i brought up arnie and like the pump and like chasing those elements and i guess that actually has some relevance to training at least f- for me like i found that to help my auto regulation in terms of oh how does that individual I'm, I'm trying to target the quad how does the quad actually feel is it getting a pump is it feeling like it's damaged how is it recovering the next days within the context of progressive overload uh, are those some of the things you're looking at when you're auto regulating am i recovering on time are you looking at any of those things to kind of give you clue to like i guess stimulus uh that a uh, certain exercise is giving you
1: yeah so i think there's some objective and good subjective measures to go off of, uh, for, for one, like just with within the session, and it's, it's easy because I'll get on different tracks, right? I'll get roll like sciencey and like, just look at just, uh, you know, this, the, the program, the planning, the sets and the reps and everything. And it's uh, easy to get away from like the beauty and art of actually lifting. Yeah. And I put a lot more weight into that of like, How does this movement pattern actually look? And what is the stimulus I'm getting out of? Like, do I feel tension, some type of tension in that target muscle that I'm trying to work? And because we, you know, I have individuals that come to me and they're like, I can't build chest. You see them do it. It's like, oh yeah, your execution's all wrong or their execution looks really good and they still don't build the chest. It's like, what's going on? And there's something much deeper there. Like a lot of times you have maybe have a, a mobility or movement dysfunction pattern that's leading to some type of neurological issue where you, you, you could do it perfect and you're still not getting the right neural activity in that muscle group. Um, and, and that goes way beyond just, Hey, I had the right number of sets there. It's into actually looking at how someone's moving and maybe you may need some type of neurological type programming to, to assist with that. So I think, yeah, um, going into a session, like in, in the exercises I'm picking, like, do I feel tension while I'm doing that movement? Um, in, in getting done with the set, do I feel some type of distress occurring in that muscle or getting a pump in that muscle? And pump's pretty subjective. Like, what if you didn't have enough fluids, you didn't eat enough that day? But in general sense, like, you should be feeling something in that target muscle. Then the, the next, the following day, like, did you get sore in that area? And again, that's kind of a subjective thing. You might not always get sore. Yeah. Soreness doesn't mean you had a good hypertrophy workout, um, it, but it, it might give you some indication that sh- what you're training and intended to is what it was. Um, still, I, I go off the logbook more so objectively. It's kind of subjective too. Um, but it, if I was able to actually move up in, in progression in some way whether it's load or reps, but I have to keep in mind, like, did I get a better stimulus as far as like my execution goes? Cause maybe I didn't change my load or reps, but I had I such a, a more direct tension in that muscle that that was a progression and stimulus too. You know, if I matched rep and load, but my form improved, well, that's a progression. Yeah. Um, and it shows that there was an adaptation that occurred from my previous training session. I think that was the biggest huge, like, and that was from a, a Brian, um, Brian minor, Brian Miner. There you go. You, yeah. you probably knew it right away. Like uh-huh. he f- totally f- blew my mind when he was talking about the logbook and the stimulus and the adaptation chicken and, or uh, the egg. That's yeah, the- <laughs> exactly. You know, I I completely flipped on that one because I, I used to go to the gym thinking I need to make a new stimulus or progress the stimulus somehow to lift more. And all I was doing was just trying harder. That doesn't necessarily mean that the previous session caused Uh, I made the right stimulus last session that caused the adaptation, and I had the recovery ability to to present that adaptation in my current training session. So now the logbook is more of a a marker of recovery, but also a marker of, of adaptation occurring. And you know you have to weigh weigh out is it strength adaptations are you lifting different etc. There's a lot of that's kind of subjective, right? Yeah. But at the same time, it gives us a little bit of objective trend line over time. So um, from my last session, did I have a decline in performance, maintain or improvement? And off that kind of gives me some idea of my recoverability. Um, now, if I, I had a decline, it's like, well, was it just, uh, did I have poor sleep? Did I miss on nutrition? Kind of go through my check marks of, of recovery. Did I have a very stressful day? Okay, maybe it was just that session. Um, did I feel great and I, and I still had a decline? Well, then it kind of would make, make me wonder, like, and, and if that's still occurring, maybe I need some more training stimulus. Maybe I'm starting to, to have to progress something up like that. That would probably be more indicative, I think, for a beginner or someone new. My my thing for my myself personally would definitely be uh, probably recovery starting to drop down if I'm seeing a decline in, in yeah. performance, um, and that cumulative fatigue is occurring. So the logbook is is probably my my biggest marker still that yeah. I I would use as, of like a week to week train workout to workout um, progression that's occurring. Now at my level, like if I have, you know, some workouts that I'm not really seeing it, or maybe I just see it in one set, that's enough for me, you know, okay, that we're, we're still moving up here. Um, I might see it slowly decline over the weeks. I'm like, okay, this deload is probably due. And I'm probably also at a correct training volume. Um, because what I've done in the past, you keep reducing volume, and you can keep training performance up really high, then all of a sudden you realize like, you know what? I'm doing a strength training program. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I'm declining volume to maintain intensity of effort and intensity of load. It's like, okay, no, no, you need to like hold this volume level and, and see if it's moving. It should be moving up and it might slowly move up into a point. Um, uh, other things. So yeah, so I think back on my sleep, but also yeah, tracking the sleep quality itself um, tracking my, what I usually notice, the biggest thing is my work capacity and mental focus and, and kind of a brain fog that I'll feel. And that's the first things that I'll, I'll usually pick up on and, and not feel quite as motivated to go to the gym. And that's yeah. what I know, like subjectively fatigues accumulating. A lot of my clients, I also use um, I got from Scott Stevenson. He uses a perceived recovery scale. Yeah a one to 10 scale, um, 10 being like, hey, I feel highly energetic and highly recovered. One feel like I feel zero motivation, extremely tired and fatigued. Yeah, the subjective scale, is, it's been validated. It's actually pretty good. Um, I think if we go off too many like really ob- objective things, like I know people use like their o-rings or heart rate variability. And I think a lot of these things like it, it's, it's uh, to pick up the acute things. It, it's kind of, just intuitive. Like you wake up, yeah. you're like, man, I slept like shit. I feel terrible. It's like, well, my heart, my heart, my o ring says I'm good to go. Sweet. It's like, dude, you're totally missing the the forest for the tree there. Like, if you feel terrible, don't go to, don't go train or do a light session. So I think a lot of this uh, is uh can can go off to subjective scales and work pretty well. So that's usually what I'm I am going off of. I don't track heart rate or heart rate variability or anything like that, looking at yep. resting heart rate. Um, I do track blood glucose and blood pressure, Um, partially not so to use like acute as far as like seeing fatigue accumulate, although you could see it change. Um, Definitely see it. I think this is more application with the enhanced side. Right. of bodybuilding um, or, or it doesn't have to be even natural uh, if you're driving body weight really high and reaching higher body fat levels you might see blood glucose trend yeah. up but uh, you probably are getting really really fat <laughs> or have some genetic predisposition to right. see that occur but in the enhanced side um, you can see it occur at much lower body fats uh, just driving inflammation and insulin resistance from the presence of androgens and growth hormone so I have a lot of guys that will, will track that anyway but usually we'll see um, inflammation more the body's kind of swelling joints are hurting um, digestion's starting to get impeded and they're having to like choke down food and these are all, all marker signs for one probably fatigues really high but also systemic stress and inflammation is really high and uh, so I'll track those things then and especially for enhanced guys tracking blood pressure because that's like the silent i think it's like the silent killer of for, sure. for lobby, but also for bodybuilders just just being a large body. You yeah. know whether you're natural enhanced like you're pushing anabolic processes all the time and you're you're heavy you're putting more strain on the body so monitoring blood pressure would make, make a lot of sense so those are two of the, the more objective things that that i do track
0: cool and obviously so, you're tracking performance like you said which yeah, is pretty effective too so and i love I kind of the- ramble there steve i'm sorry I was <laughs> oh wrong. no it's good like i'm uh, just like <laughs> nodding my head thinking like you're I love how you're just, you You look at your logbook and you can use that data and it's valuable and I can see how your brain's working through it
1: all, which is, it, it's fantastic. Yeah, uh, that's, it's a, that's it's a diagnostic tool. So I have all these tools and it kind of paints me a picture to make decisions. Because I think a lot of
0: people feel lost and they just yeah. they just go and they just are like, oh, I can't go hard anymore. So I just back off. And so it, it's great to hear how much you actually consider your training, you think through it and... You don't just, I don't know if you have a bad session, it's just not like there's one answer. It could, let's check everything else and then we make a call. So, again, that's the coach in you.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think like we, it's, you look, when you go to the doctor's office, right? He, he, he looks over your lab work, he looks over your subjective signs of what you're saying. He does a physical exam and he, he takes all these data data points, objective and subjective, and then finally comes up with a diagnosis and a treatment plan. I think we're, we should be doing this kind of the same thought process when in bodybuilding, which is hard because it's a, it takes a critical thinker. Um, but a lot of times we're self-coached, so we kind of have to develop that skill set along the way. But yeah, taking all these tools, subjective, objective, coming up with an accurate diagnosis of what's going on, then making the, the, the intervention, monitoring, reassessing and, and, you know, re- re- redoing that intervention strategy. Yeah. Um, I, science. You know, to, uh, <laughs> one, one reference that I thought was really cool was from Eric Helms and his, uh, he has a training book out. Tra-
0: Muscle and strength pyramids.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. That's it. That's it. He had a really cool tool in there that had like a four or five question, uh, yes or no. And for deload, if you need a load, it's like, right. was your sleep, poor and uh, has performance declining and are you less motivated to train it's like if you had I think over two yeses, it would be do a deload or take a light session if no keep going um or continue to the next mes- mesocycle. cycle um and, and so I thought that was a beautiful thing because like you said people get really lost because you have all these things like okay this is happening this is happening like should I do it or should I not do it and it's never that black and white but I think for people that are trying to figure it out, like Eric Helms gave a a, a pretty nice tool to kind of like try to have an assessment and an intervention for someone that's trying to figure it out. Um, So that was a a cool resource that I had come across. But uh, yeah, I think being the critical thinking bodybuilder and logging our stuff is part of what needs to happen to make the most of it, especially when you're not just trying to rely on genetics and who is right you can't change it anyway so let's just make the most of the variables that we can control hi guys
0: steve here just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of our online coaching service at revive stronger we pride ourselves on providing personalized service that will take your physique and knowledge to the next level if you're interested check the description and sign up no absolutely that that's awesome and We've ended up talking mostly about training the whole time, which is great. Cause now I have even more, I want to get you on the show again, cause I have no doubt people are going to have loved this. Uh, but something you mentioned there, which maybe we can kind of close on is the being self-coached and I'm pretty sure you're yeah. coaching yourself into, uh, all your kind of this season. Is that the first time you've done that? How, how's that gone?
1: Uh, no, no, I actually, so my, my first three years of bodybuilding coach myself. Okay. Um, I, and I don't know, I think, I feel like when I started, which was 2011, that's kind of what you did, or you had yeah. some like friend that maybe helped you out or, uh and, and so I just read a lot and my first prep, I was, I got on bodybuild.com and Layden Norden put out this prep series. I don't know if you've recalled seeing this. He yeah. went through everything peak week. He had a, a very thought out explanation of it. So even my first peak week was, was reasonable. You know, I didn't do anything drastic, which is like, Hey, I did really good back then. Then you kind of went, led astray. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so that was, so I, I, picked up as much material as I could and read as much as I could to try to do it on my own. And so that was the first three years and, um, once I got qualified for nationals, I was like, man, I'm really, I don't want to mess this up. You know, I, I really want someone to, to help me. And that's when I got introduced to Matt and, uh, he really helped take my physique to another level. Cause he had so much experience working with some top level guys and just gave gave me that knowledge set that man, who knows if I would have ever gotten it otherwise. So there was a lot of value to having someone teach me along the way and pulled out a lot of great stuff from Matt, Um, and then, then I, I left Matt and wanted, cause I've always wanted, I loved self-coaching. Like I love that. I love the process. Even with Matt, I was involved in the process of like giving him all the data that I was collecting. And even in, so he could make the right decisions or we would start making them together. which is really cool when you get that coach athlete relationship where it's a collaboration, which I think it should be. And you should be building that competency and autonomy in your clients to where they have the knowledge set of the plan, what to monitor in the plan and relay it to the coach. Um, so I was developing that with Matt, but man, I always wanted to just do it myself too, because I was so meticulous and detailed and learn along the way. Like, no one's going to monitor myself more closely than myself. Right. I have all this all data kind of limited by working with someone online in a sense. Um, so I, I did, I did one show on my own that I did a whole off season on my own where I really improved my physique a lot in the off season. And then coming back, I was like, I was stubborn. and like, I'm going to make sure that I can take myself to the pro level show. Um, on my own, I, I did a prep with math and two weeks later I did my own peak. So, um, and, and I had a- Andrew Vu was kind of a friend that was kind of keeping an eye on me. So I communicated with Andrew Vu throughout my whole off season. I was still coaching myself though, but I got to, I was about four weeks out from Chicago in um, 2019, I'm like, man, I'm lean. Like I did it. You know, I, I know I can get myself in shape, uh, Andrew helped me the rest of the way. So, which was cool. It was still a collaboration in 2019 is when, um, is when I got, win and got fourth at Olympia, and, and we're, Andrew and I were still collaborating and then we did off season. I did my next Olympia with him and uh, it got a little bit away from a collaboration to where, you know, I wasn't getting uh, all the data I was collecting. Um, I think we were missing some parts and also our timeline got a little bit off and we just didn't have the best showing. It's like, and, and my thing was with taking myself to stage was peak week. So I felt really good about everything else, but peak week, I had never dialed in. Yeah. And being 212, it's been tough. I've never nailed it on stage. With Andrew, I finally did. So I think he really has a really good eye, especially in person, to dialing in a peak week. Um, at a sh- I was on the show with five other competitors, and every single person was on kind of this different peak, just catered to them. Like, everything was different. And they all looked great. You know, So it's not like someone was really off. Like, they all looked on. Um, and so Andrew really helped me understand what I needed out of a peak week or maybe what I don't need. And so that was it after that Olympia. And I was like, I got this, you know. And so I've been coaching myself since this past Olympia 2020. Um, I felt like I needed to redeem myself. So I jumped into Indy Pro and the New York Pro and now um, the Chicago Pro (laughs) Uh, just being so close. And I feel like absolutely have nailed my best conditioning. And I've been able to walk on stage with a look I wanted to walk on stage with and, and be proud of it. Uh, it just happened to be some really good lineups. So my, you know, you, you hope to bring your best and win, but it just happened. That was the, the guys that show up. You can't control, but, um, I, I've been peeled, man, never this condition in my life, which, uh, made me feel great from a self-coaching standpoint. So I always felt like, man, if I can't do it to myself, how can I do it to someone else? in, in a sense, um, but I've been able to definitely remove a lot of the emotional ties I have to making decisions nice. and I can, I can, I can look at my my picks and set back and look at like I'm looking at a client and not have any drive to like, oh, no, no, you got to do this or you look small like refeed or, you know, I I can uh, be more objective now since I've been doing it for so long. And uh, definitely my peak weeks have changed. They're so simplified. So I kind of do this now this just this is nice. I'm ready. Like I'm ready right now. I can yeah. walk on stage. So I don't change much. It's like this little bit of a linear loading approach where yeah. I slowly walk up carbohydrates into the show. Um, water stays high, sodium stays high. And, um, I find a weight that I look really good at across a certain amount of meals. And that's the weight that I try to hold on stage day and walk onto. And that's when I might reduce fluids a little bit or, or food a slightly just on show day. And I've walked on stage. Peel to the bone, not using diuretics, not doing drastic water loads, sodium loads, and things, and um, it's predictable. And I know it's not the sexy sell, and so if you come to my J 3 University, I'm not, I'm not selling crazy protocols, but that's for a reason, um, because I want something that's predictable that you can that you can utilize. Uh, so that's definitely changed. Um, but yeah, you really kind of need need to be objective <laughs> with yourself, and it's just the hard part to self coaching and like we mentioned earlier, like the fatigue management has been huge, huge. Now I understand it so well, like I can feel, I feel excellent. Like people are like, you must feel like death, John, look at your face. It's all scrunchy <laughs> yeah. and like you're shredded. It's like, I feel amazing. Like I'll, I'll sleep seven to eight hours a night. Like nice. I, I have pretty good, you know, mental focus and, um, and, and I've gotten away. I used to stair master hard. Um, and that would kill me. It was like going to war every morning with Stairmaster. Now it's all, I, I, for time efficiency, I'll do some like treadmill walking on incline. The rest of the time, it's all step management spread throughout the day. When I'm feeling fresh to do it, if I start feeling fatigued for too long, I stop and I just save it for the rest of the time. So I can spread out that, that, um, energy expenditure as needed. Uh, even food based, like my diet fatigue is so much lower. I'm not hungry for it because I can manage my foods better. I used to diet on white rice. You know, it's like, I'm so hungry. Yeah, no doubt. And, and so now, I, now it's like, well, I'm going to use oatmeal or pumpkin or mixed vegetables or butternut squash or, you know, um, bringing carbohydrate sources that have good, a good SATI index and move those meals to times when I'm hungry. Yeah. You know, I'll eat a bunch of carbs before bed because I sleep better and I don't wake up hungry. I sleep is quality, you know. Um, so there's a lot of things that I can do on my own to make the process less stressful. And the at least the perception is easier, but I think if you have a less perception of that effort and stress, you'll also carries into the physical as well. Yeah,
0: um, oh, that, that's really. I know
1: cool. we wanted to get in diet a little bit about what I thought about refeeds and diet breaks, etc. But we we'll have um, to do that, that another that time.
0: I think we're we'll talking time. too long.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll keep rambling about myself, myself <laughs> coaching my prep. But yeah, I think that's honestly, Steve, like the the biggest thing that has improved so much for me to get into this kind of shape has been my ability to manage fatigue to where I can actually take myself down to the body fat levels that I need to yeah. and it wasn't it wasn't digging digging harder and hard working harder it's like working smarter and knowing understanding when to push when to pull back and doing that kind of teetering process to eventually bring me down to this body fat level and uh that's been the key to like what you'll see presented is is um, me being very lean along with my wife being very lean too and she competes with me so
0: yeah i think your conditioning uh, it's just stand out it's just i mean completely through the glutes hamstrings the the stubborn areas uh, the christmas tree is all striated it's i mean like you said you're ready you could step on stage at any point and that but the listeners might be aware of that i don't know if you know the kind of origins of the progressive linear load but it came from dr joe klimagreski i I might have said his last name a bit wrong but dr joe so like he is that's his approach he loves he's like the the diet doc right yeah the diet doc that's exactly the guy so he's all about getting ready like for peak week be ready beforehand and then it's simple so, uh, I love that that is something you've taken on. And I mean, it makes your peaking process a lot less complicated and much more simple and probably safer, I guess, as well.
1: It, it does. I've done, I've done the, I've done everything, <laughs> you know, like I've done all kinds of loads, I've used diuretics. Um, and those are just such a roll of the dice and you get through and you're like, we manipulated so many variables. I have no idea what happened <laughs> yeah. and you can't go back and do it. So I, you know, if anything, it's like, I tell people like learn carbohydrates that's going to be the biggest thing that can change your physique, like keep all the other variables stagnant and learn how you can change your body with carbohydrate and learning off. I think that's where you might have application for your refeeds to learning prior yeah. to going into peak week, um, how you, what type of amount you might need and how long you might get a little bit of a spillover or what keeps you a little bit less spillover or, um, so I think, it, yeah, it gives you a much more predictive approach, but that little bit you might gain from, doing like a backload or something. It just throws a lot of risk there, which, um, if like you are fat free lean, we probably don't really need to do much. Then the opposite is like, well, should I be doing more if I'm not, if I still have body fat on me? Well, damn, it might be, that might even be worse because I've seen guys that still aren't lean. Then they wind up on stage like fat and flat. Yeah. Like, yeah, it can't even be worse than that. Or what if you're fat and full? Well, who cares? Everyone's fat and full, right? That's all season. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, so, yeah. I would, I would say you're still your best approach is probably just finding your best look that you have with the body fat that you have, and, and being at least predictive and being able to walk on stage with with something that you're you're proud of. You know, that's like yeah. maybe five percent off on the mark versus being like twenty percent off. Right? Yeah. Um
0: I think Scott so, Steven yeah. says. Uh, scott stevenson says something like aim for an a not an a star or something like that it's something along those lines where it's like it's just not worth the yeah risk uh, in terms of training just quickly is there anything you change in a peak week for training do you do like pump circuits or like do you back off that week how do you like to approach training um
1: pretty much don't change much yeah okay. it's, it's kind of like the same the same type of deal like um I'm not like being dieted You're definitely in this slightly depleted state, but um, I typically run my same same diet training approach. Uh, it will pretty much serve a deload, so there'll be some set reductions. I will remove any type of exercise that present just too high of risk if I'm feeling like like, um, and also ones that might be cause like excessive eccentric damage, like say yeah. an RDL oh. or my good morning. Like those beat my hamstrings up pretty pretty much. Um, so I might keep movements that are more isolation in the shortened state, but for the most part, like with how I'm going into a peak week, I'm not carrying this ton of fatigue that I need to drop off of. Like the fatigue's already low and managed and eating up into the show, you start feeling better and better. So the, there doesn't have to be this drastic change in training and I'm not doing any type of depletion workouts either because I'm not trying to deplete then load. And so it's, uh, nothing changes my own, my consideration I do make is for travel days um it, it, sometimes my travel day might land on a train day or an off day so depending on when flight times are I might change that to an off day uh because I, I, I think it could be less than optimal if I'm having to train at a completely different time of day or going super early in the morning that might change um and then I will spread out some sessions at the end so if I had say for instance a push day which chest shoulders and triceps for me I might have a day where maybe I'll do chest. Then I'll do have, a, have a, my pull day. Then maybe the last session would be I'll throw on the delts and triceps and biceps. So it, the, the session would get really short, which I would manage fatigue. Um, but that way I like it because it keeps me very consistent day to day leading into the show. So that's one thing I have done different because what I have found is like the day before the show, a lot of people just take it completely off and then they also aren't doing any type of neat And they're sitting around then you have to completely like adjust their energy intake yeah so and then like or if they did the same energy intake then you might have to like they might eat too much and spill over the next day um and and so what i found is like if i just keep everything the same on training every day it's much more predictive for me with the process i'm doing of going to the show so for new york and indy this was the first time i ever trained the day before the show but it was very much more so like a pump workout, like I would do backstage. So I'm yeah. actually practicing my show day pump up the day before. So it's it's, it's a, a great way to see, can I get a pump? Is this amount of carbohydrate essential? How does the look look? Um, I can go train around the same time I'd be going on stage. So everything's in practice for show day. So I've done everything prior to where the show day is never just this roll, complete roll of the dice. Um, And that's what I try to make happen on on peak week. But as far as those other sessions, for the most part, they resemble my normal sessions.
0: Okay. No, cool. I mean, it makes a lot of sense because like you said, if you have all these variables changing, you try and keep as much in a vacuum so you know, oh, things aren't quite right. It's that that's causing it nothing right, else right. going on cuz i haven't changed too many things so uh yeah this has been great john i appreciate your time big time and i have to pull you on again cuz there's other things i want to kind of dig at your brain and like i said i, I think people will want to hear more from you so i, I appreciate you coming on and uh, if people want to i guess good luck for your show uh this might actually come out you. after you've already competed so maybe people will know so we okay. just have to see <laughs> but uh, if people want to learn more about you uh, your coaching everything like this uh where should they head
1: yeah so' I'm, I haven't been taking on more clients for, for a while now but um, it, to follow my journey I'm more most active on Instagram so at John Jewett three is my IG. Um, also been putting out more on YouTube so I do have like a prep series with my wife. She's doing her wellness pro debut in Chicago as well. And so on YouTube um, just John Jewett the uh, can see our content there and of course I have a podcast a j3u podcast. And um, for my I have an education platform, similar to you, not not to compete with you, Steve, uh, j3university.com. It's uh, my, my coursework for learning how to use evidence-based bodybuilding, science focus, but also rubber meets the road. So I have a lot of practical application to take you through and just learn how to bodybuild and actually apply it and make, make progress. So that's uh, where you can find more about me. And, uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity to come on here, Steve. Like I've wanted to come on here and speak with you for a while. I think you're, you articulate so well, and you're a great interviewer and have done so much for just the community and the bodybuilding as a whole, which is, it was really awesome to think back. On. I don't know if you know the gravity of how, how you're impacting so many people's journey and giving exposure to people that really, um, are beneficial to the scene. So thank you for what you do. And thank you for having me on.
0: I, I appreciate that a lot and I probably don't know and I hope I don't know because <laughs> I hope it's huge and like it's amazing uh, but I, I highly appreciate that it means a lot it's, it's come from humble beginnings but I'm so grateful that I get to spend time with people like yourself John and like get to give people more exposure if I can so I definitely want people to check out your Instagram YouTube I was just checking out your full day of eating uh, with <laughs> your wife so I'm, I'm a little bit through that so uh, yeah it's, it's fun to people see people love across. just to
1: see people eat food Yeah. So much. I I put up these training stuff. I'm like, this is awesome. And people are like, we want to see you eat food. I'm like, it's so boring. Like, but then I get on, I get on YouTube and I'll watch people eat food. Yeah. So Renee and I were like, you know what? We just need to record like our cheat meals or whatever we do, and just let people just watch us eat. And we'll probably just—I won't even bodybuilding more. I'll just let people watch me eat and just and do eat. it topless. People will <laughs> love it. <laughs>
0: so,
1: yeah, until so, I'm fat. Until i <laughs> yeah. in the off season.
0: <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for listening, John. Thank you again, and we'll catch you soon. Take care. Bye bye. Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically, we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within our little niche is gonna be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there, you can ask questions, but also you can can log your journey. There's also gonna be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics. Discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're going to have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're going to go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them, we kept them concise, and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets.